unstoppable kick-ass confidence. Are you ready? Welcome to the Raw and Unscripted Show with Christopher Roush, where we help you overcome your self-created crap without the self-help fluffy bullshit. Now please welcome our host, Christopher Roush. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of Raw and Unscripted with yours truly, Christopher Roush. You are at your place where I help you overcome your self-created crap without the self-help fluffy bullshit. Thank you guys for being here. It's every Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, California time, the Raw and Unscripted show here. And guess what? Tonight, it's just you and me. Just you and me tonight, guys. That's what it's all about. This Raw and Unscripted show is a special show for me because it's just going to be me and you or you and I, if we want to be uh, English- grammatically correct uh just gonna be you and i tonight and the whole purpose of tonight's show is to share with you the journey the stories and the pictures of this book that i'm holding up in my hand sorry podcast people you're not gonna be able to see this you're gonna have to come and look at the video cast of this particular show because i'm gonna be sharing a lot of uh pictures maybe some videos of just my life you know just the life my book the autobiography it's just you and me kid the story of a mother and son survival on the streets of california is coming out this fall i'm holding up the picture the mock cover in my hand right now i'm super 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 excited um this has obviously been uh, in the works for 54 years, because that's exactly how old I am. And, uh, I'm going to get into it tonight. I'm going to be talking a lot about the book, the stories in the book, some of the stories that aren't going to be in the book. This is just totally raw and unscripted. It's just my way of kind of bringing you inside and letting you know what the process is for me writing this book, what book writing processes are. And then of course, to share some pictures and some stories to get you inspired, get you inspired. Because if you go to, it's just you and me, kid.com, it's just you and me, kid.com. You can get on the priority pre-sale list and you will get a bunch of extras for helping me make this book a number one bestseller. So if you go to it's just you and me, kid.com, I'm gonna have it scrolling here in a, in a minute. Um, that way you can go there, get on the priority distribution list. You get a bunch of extras uh, for helping me make it the number one bestseller and uh, my way of thanking you guys. So what's going on? We have uh, Teresa Turner in the house. She says, what's up? Me too. Don't, don't, don't me to me. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. Uh, not to you. Um, uh, what's up? We got Patricia in the house. My beautiful Patricia Patty's in the house. Um, if you guys missed it, the last three episodes of the Ron and scripted show were co-hosted by my beautiful friend Patty. Um, and we had some amazing guests. We had Dio Gibson on here. Uh, we had Oren checkmate Hudson on here. We had Brandon Evans on here and truth be told later this year, we're going to reconnect and we're going to have some more amazing guests on here on the Ron and scripted show. So thank you, Patty, for joining us. I appreciate you. Uh, uh, Teresa says, I'm excited. I'm excited too, because honestly, I did not plan this particular episode and the God's honest truth. I'm just going to be real, real honest with you guys. Shh, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. I've been kind of in a weird mood the last couple of days and this show tonight, I almost did a replay, but I decided, you know what? It's Ron and scripted. And that's what I'm going to be Ron and scripted with you guys. Um, uh, so yeah, so we're just going to be going by the seat of our pants. I've got a couple of ideas that I want to share with you, but I just want to bring you back, bring you in behind the scenes on this book, get you excited about the book, get you excited about my life and just share some things about my life that perhaps you don't even know about. Um, Teresa says, I am excited. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. She goes, uh, I have been waiting on this book too. Well, thank you, Teresa. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty crazy. For those of you guys who didn't see the book cover, here it is. It's uh, this is the mock-up of it. Actually, the uh, graphic artists are going to clean it all up. But essentially, it's a homeless scene right in the background. Uh, the subtitle is currently "It's Just You and Me, Kid." It's just a true story of a mother and son survival on the streets of California. 
that's going to be tweaked a little bit, but again, it's going to be out this September, October. I have secured a publishing house. I'm still going to self-publish it, but I have a publishing agreement with an organization that's going to do all the back-end stuff for, for me. So if you're writing a book, there's a lot of things to consider when writing a book. Um, getting editors, obviously, getting book covers, design, ISBN numbers. Those are the numbers that go on the back. Um, this, as a matter of fact, is my buddy Dave Grohl's book. Uh, if you happen to know the Foo Fighters, this is Dave Grohl. And I'm manifesting the fact that I'm going to meet this guy. Right, Patty? Right, Patty? I think what's going to happen is this book's going to come out and this guy on the back is going to pick it up at a Barnes and Noble and he's going to go, oh my God, oh my God, I have to meet this guy. I have to meet this rock star, this kick-ass motherfucker, Christopher Roush. I have to bring him on tour for, with me and, and help me have him be my life coach. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we got Jacqueline Rose in the house saying, looking forward to the book. I am looking forward to it too. Um, so in addition, you know, the publishing house is going to do that. They're going to get it uh, registered with the Library of Congress. Uh, they're going to help me with the bestseller campaign. They're going to do all this. This is my friend, Teresa. Actually, my friend Patty knows this. Teresa Velarde is going to be helming this. And then my other friend, Peggy Williams, Wilms, I would say Williams, but it's actually Wilms, uh, is on the team as well. So I've got a couple of amazing people behind me. I've got all you beautiful people behind me as well, uh, cheering me on. So I am super, super excited about this. This process has been, wow, this process, I've been seriously considering writing the book for many, many years now. And it's funny that Patty's here because I'm going to tell this story because people say, what inspired you to write the book now in your life? You know, you're 54, you haven't lived your entire life yet. And so here's the story. Um, I've already written a couple of other books. As a matter of fact, um, that's real strange. Where is it? So this one, so actually this, I've written this book. This is totally off the cuff, by the way. So I've written this book before. It's called 69 tips for living your kick-ass life. Volume one, um, all done. Everything's all set up. I have the, the place for the barcode. And basically if you know, life's little instruction book, it was a book that was huge back in the eighties and nineties and maybe two thousands. I don't know. It's called life's little instruction book. It was a small little book. And in there it had, everything was numbered like one, two, three, four, five. And I think it had like something like a hundred or 200 different daily kind of things that you could do, um, to make life better. So well, this is the dirty version, the rough version, the raw and scripted version. So this is got stuff in here. It's got simple stuff in there, like pay it forward. Um, it's okay to be wrong. Do not settle. Leave a kick-ass legacy. Uh, don't shit where you eat. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, things in here. Imagine, imagine Tony Robbins and Andrew Dice Clay and George Carlin all get together in an ACDC concert and write a book about life. That's what this is. So I've done this one. I have another book called The Blue Collar Guide to Life. Um, 10 ways to achieve kick-ass success. I've never published this one. This one, actually, if you look at this, this is, this is a full... Okay, I don't know if you can see this. So these are full books that I've written that I've never published. So I've got this book. I've got this book. I've got another book called um, Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, which is a motivation book. I've, I wrote, started writing that in the early 2000s. And so my friend Patty calls me one day and she's like, hey, Christopher, what you doing? And Patty and I hadn't talked in a while. And I said, I'm doing good. What's up? How are you doing? We start changing pleasantries and everything. And she goes, uh, I feel like I'm called to talk to you about a book, you know, and I can't remember exactly how the conversation went, but she asked me if I was writing a book. And I said, as a matter of fact, I am. It's called Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. She goes, mm, no. And I said, well, I got this other book called 69 Tips for Living a Kick-Ass Life. She said, no. Um, I've got another book that I'm writing, a leadership book all about corporate and da-da-da, team building and blah, blah. No. And I said, well, there is this other book that I'm going to write. It's about my life story. It's called, it's just you and me. That one, that one, that one. That's the one you're going to write. 
no, I don't want to write that one, Patty. I don't want to write that one. That one's going to be uncomfortable. That one's going to be icky and awkward. And Jesus Christ. I mean, it's one thing for me to tell you guys, hey, I lived in a backseat of a station wagon with 18 cats and four dogs. I had a mother with various psychological challenges and chemical dependencies. I had all sorts of interesting things happen in my life. Um, so telling you that on the surface is one thing. But when you go back and you go to write a book about your life, what are some of the important things that you want to include in the book? You want to include details. Basically with a book, you are, are, are creating a movie in people's minds of what's going on. So as they're reading the words, they want descriptive words in there to kind of place you in the scene. So kind of put you in that at the atmosphere. What was it like being inside of a 69 Ford Country Squire station wagon with the leather, the vinyl seats and, and it being old in the carpet and having 18 cats and four dogs inside of there on a rainy day? What is that like, Chris? What was your attitude like? What was your, what was your outlook like? <laughs> to go back and visit that stuff in intense detail so that you can, you, the reader can go along for this journey with me. is a lot of work. It's a lot of work emotionally. Uh, it's not a lot of work physically because I'm just sitting there typing, but when you're sitting there trying to recapture all those different situations that happen in your life to help you make you the person that you are today, um, it's pretty exhausting. And I didn't really know what I was in for until I started writing it and going into that specific detail. So thank you, Patty, for that. I appreciate you. Um, she says here, she goes, uh, we are putting it out there. Trust me. Yes, we are. We're putting it out there to, to meet Dave Grohl, the Foo Fighters. I don't know why. I do not know why, but I feel like this weird connection to the guy, like a brother, just something weird. I can't not, not that I'm starstruck or anything. I just, I have a feeling I have a connection to him. So uh, we got Eric in the house. What's up, Eric? He says, got to get my hands on that one. Yeah, brother. Thank you so, so much for being here. He says the 69 tips and just you and me kid must haves for me. Yeah, actually in the truth be told this one, this has got 69 tips in it. I've already got, I already have correct, correct English vernacular here, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I have three more books that I could write basically. So what I did is I sat there and listed out all the tips. Like if somebody, if I had 24 hours to live, what tips would I give people to have an amazing life? And so I wrote, it was 169 of them. Actually, it was kind of funny that it came to 169. Um, and that reason why it's 69 tips, by the way, by the guys, don't get your, don't get your head in the gutter. I was born in 1969. That's why it's 69 tips. I have a 69 Dodge Charger. That's why it's 69. I lived in a 69 Country Squire station wagon. That's why it's 69. So get your mind out of the gutter. It does not mean anything else. <laughs> ah, yes. Uh, so yeah, we will definitely get you that book, Eric. And there's going to be so many other books. Um, so yeah, so going back and visiting this stuff in vivid detail has been truly exhausting. It's one thing to sit there and write it. So obviously we know the pandemic happened in uh, March of 2020. And so I started thinking about it, but I didn't really start seriously writing this book until December of 2020. And I sat down at the computer and I wrote, here I go, it's October of 2020. I'm about to write my life story and I'm scared to death of how this is gonna turn out. And so what I just started doing is I just started free writing. I just said, okay, the only thing that I had in my brain was how can I lay this book out in such a way that it can make sense for me and kind of take the reader along a journey of my life to have people understand the different heartbreaks and heartaches and setbacks and, and, and challenges and wins and amazing people that were in my life to help me become this guy that's in front of you. Cause God's honest truth for me to be sitting here in front of a camera talking to you guys or standing in front of a live stage in front of thousands of people, Patty's seen me do it uh, in front of at least a thousand people here in Los Angeles for me to do that. 
we got to rewind the clock a little second. We got to go back. And what I want to do is I want to do something fun. I'm not sure how this is going to show up, but this is something that I have done. I used to do in my public speaking uh, events, but I thought it'd be kind of an interesting way just to kick off my life story and see how it looks here for you guys. So pardon me for a second, but I'm going to show you something. It's going to give you the very, very condensed version of my, um, of my, uh, amazing life story. So we're going to see how this turns out. I don't really show this anymore because it's kind of old, but uh, you guys can see that I'm actually going to duck out of the screen so you can get a full screen of this. And uh, this is just a sec, couple seconds, but uh, let me see what we got here. So uh, uh, Eric says the number, LOL. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, Patricia says here, uh, sometimes we need someone to encourage us without judgment. Your life story is filled with wisdom and it needs to be heard. Everything else will fall into place. Patty, you have no idea how much I am hanging on to that. You have no idea. So let me just uh, duck out of here for a second. And uh, all your time waiting for that second chance for a break that would make it okay good enough and it's hard at the end of the day I need some distraction oh Memory seep from my veins Let me be empty Why you wanna tell me how to live my life? What's up, ladies and gentlemen? How was that? How was that? Let me know in the uh, in the comments what you guys thought of that. That's something I used to do a while back. So I thought it would be kind of interesting to kind of set the table, if you will, and give you kind of a, just a quick version of my life. And one of those uh, one of the pictures that I shared earlier today, um, I want to bring back up here for a second. So let me know what you thought of that. Uh, let's see. Uh, Patricia says, "Wowza!" Definitely, definitely, definitely. Uh, whoops, Jacqueline says here, you went through so much. I'm sorry you had to go through it, but that's made you who you are today. A wonderful man, father and husband. Thank you, Jacqueline. I appreciate you, baby. Uh, Eric says, bring back the suit, baby. Nice blue shirt. Um, yeah, I'm actually going to show you some pictures of that as well. But um, here, I want to share this with you. 
Um, so let's just kind of bring this up here for a second and uh, let's show this guy. So this guy, when you think about this, when I look at this picture, I want to tell you one of the stories I want to tell you about, and I encourage you guys to do this. Um, once upon a time, probably, let me think, this is 2023. So probably about mm, over 10 years ago, over 10 years ago, I was having a party at my house, that house that you saw actually in that picture. I bought the house in 2000, the same year I graduated with my master's degree. So fast forward, I did get a master's degree the same year I bought my house. It was the year 2000. So shortly after I bought my house, I think it was before I met Barb, which was in 2002, my wife, um, I had a party and a bunch of people over there drinking, having a great time, all sorts of stuff. And, and somebody said, man, I can't imagine you without facial hair. And I said, well, actually every once in a while I shave it off. And somebody else said, I can't imagine you as a kid. And so a bunch of people said, oh, do you have any pictures? Do you have any pictures? So there was like 15, 20 of us. So I go pull out a couple of photo albums. I'm pulling out all these pictures. And this is one of the pictures I pick out. And everybody's just going, oh my God, what a cute little boy you were. Look how innocent you were. And a few people started noticing the thing around my eye. Let's see if I can zoom that up there a little bit for you. If you notice right up there, I have a shiner on my eye. I think I may be in the first grade. I think this might be a first grade picture because um, I think I'm about the same age as my son is right now. And I showed this picture to my son. He's like, who's that dad? And I said, that's me. And he goes, no, it isn't. He goes, you don't have a mustache and a goatee. And I said, yeah, I said, you, can't, you don't grow those until you're much later in life. Um, but this picture got a lot of hullabaloo and whatnot. And so fast forward, I show a bunch of people, some of the pictures that I'm going to show you guys tonight, just kind of share my story with you, bring you a little bit more into the scene of what it is that I'm trying to share with everything. And everybody left and I'm cleaning up the party. I'm drunk. I'm, I'm half in the bag. Um, and I go back outside and I've got about six or seven pictures on the patio table outside in my backyard. It's a beautiful summer night. And I'm picking up the pictures and cleaning up and figure I'm going to go to bed and whatnot. And I stop and I see this picture, right? I see this picture. And I decide, okay, I'm going to have, I have a little bit more of my Jack and Coke in the, in the glass. And this is back when I smoked socially. So I'd been smoking. And so I light up a cigarette, have a couple of drinks in my drink and I'm putting the pictures away and I just grab this one and I'm staring at it for a second. And trust me, I have had my coaching clients do this. I've had a lot of people do this. So this is very impactful, whether you drink or not, that's totally your choice, but I was pretty hammered. And so it kind of adds to the, to the, to the story, but I'm sitting there and I'm staring at this picture, right? And I'm looking into my own eyes. And I don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea where this is going, but I'm just staring at myself. I'm like, wow. And all of a sudden it started occurring to me. So I started talking out loud and I'm like, wow, dude, you're going to go through so much hell in your life, your life, that shiner on your eye. That's where your mom told you that, that you fell down on your bike, but that's the one that you got when she smacked you with the key ring. That's the one that you got smacked with the key ring, right? And you had to go to school for picture day. And she said, tell everybody you fell on your bike. Tell everybody you fell off a tree. Just don't tell them the truth. And I'm like, dude, you're going to go through so much. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to wind up, you know, wishing you had a dad and having a biological father that never was in your life. You're going to have a stepfather that comes in your life and nearly kills you with a screwdriver. You're going to have all these heartbreaks and letdowns, and you're going to become a liar. And you're going to be, you're going to, you're, all these things are going to happen in your life. Right. And then when you're 13 years old, you're going to wind up being homeless. And you're going to be going through so much stuff. You're going to dig through trash cans and dumpsters and have to get inside and break people's trash open to get cans and, and clean them off and get gross and dirty in order to get these cans. But the cans aren't for to feed you. These cans and these newspapers and everything else are going to feed all these cats that you have with you and these dogs and your mom. And then you're going to get to eat. And you're going to have these moments where you're going to want to give up. You're going to have people wanting to take you and give you an awesome life. And they're going to say, Chris, it's up to you. 
And you're going to sit there and you're going to say, no, I have to do the right thing. I have to be with my mom. I have to be there with her because everybody else has deserted her. Her dad deserted her. Her mom deserted her. Her husband deserted her. Her ex-husband deserted her. Everybody, her sister, her daughter has deserted her. You're going to stay with her and you're going to go through hell. You're going to want to kill yourself more times than just twice. And you're going to suck at it. And then ultimately you're going to have a gun put to your head and you're going to tell the guy to pull the fucking trigger. Cause you're going to be so desperately wanting to get out of this life. You're just going to be so sick of everything in your life. Let me tell you, little man, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. You're going to start making right decisions. You're going to start getting around people who care about you. You're going to have to take their belief that you're worthwhile, that you're worthy, that you're smart. Because at this point in your life, you have no self-confidence. You have no self-respect. You're scared of everything. You just try to fit in and not get in trouble. And then ultimately, you're going to get around the right people. You're going to go back to school. You're going to get a GED. You're going to get your diploma. You're going to go to college. You're going to go to college, little dude. You're going to be one of the first people in our family that's going to go to college. And you're not going to go to college for a little bit. You're going to go for 12 consecutive years. And you're going to get an associate's degree. You're going to get a bachelor's degree. You're going to get a master's degree. You're going to be a homeless kid that has a master's degree. You're going to go through so much. You're going to get married. You're going to get divorced. You're going to have girls cheat on. You're going to have friends betray. You're going to have business partners back backstab you. You're going to have people say bad things about you. You're going to have people that are going to try to get you in trouble, but guess what? You're also going to have so many amazing, great times. You're going to party with some amazing people. You're going to meet famous people. You're going to go to exotic places. You're going to go see great things. You're going to get your dream car, which is a 69 Dodge charger. You're going to meet this beautiful woman. You're going to have a relationship for so many years. And then one day, little man, you're going to be the dad of this dude, right? And so I just went on and on. And all of a sudden I just started crying, guys. I just started crying and I just realized, wow, that's the moment that I really considered writing the book of my life. Cause I was like, fuck, if that little dude can go through all that and become this person who's now confident, assertive, um, who has had all these different successes in life, who's tried all these different experiences in life, who's traveled all over the world by himself. That takes guts. That takes discipline. That takes resiliency. That takes getting around the right people. That takes making some fucking hard, 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 hard decisions. One of the hardest decisions I've told you about was when I was homeless with my mom, we were staying at this motel called Siesta 7. It's in Anaheim. It was in Anaheim. And actually, I just drove over the place where it used to be recently because they widened the five freeway. But it was a trashy motel, drugs, prostitution, cops, cockroaches, everything. It was a shitty, shitty motel. And, um, and ultimately, what was I trying to say? What was I trying to think of? Um, the shitty motel and, um, shit, I just looked, I looked at my picture. Let me get rid of my picture for a second. You guys have seen that, right? You're, you're sick of that. Uh, let me go back to this. Um, so at any rate, uh, the motel, let me try to think of what I was thinking about. I need somebody to tell me what I was thinking about. What was I thinking about? Um, so anyways, while I'm thinking about what I was thinking about, I'm going to, uh, show you another picture. Uh, so this is a, this is a cool picture. This is, this is when I started, I'm not sure exactly how old I am, but, uh, you guys will get a kick out of this. Um, cause I told you I would show you pictures. So I'm going to show you pictures. This is a little bit later. This is when I started growing my hair out. So I was a rocker. Uh, it's pretty cute. There I am. My beautiful, my beautiful teeth, uh, before my fangs came in, we got Dennis Nermella in the house. What's up? He goes, hello, China. Hello from China, brother. Great to have you here. Dennis. Appreciate you. He says, good morning. Da, 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 da. Uh, appreciate you being here. We got Robert Broker in the house. Um, let me capture this other question right here. Uh, Eric says that was real cool, brother. Thank you. Appreciate you being here. Um, so yeah, this is when I was kind of growing my hair out and whatnot, but you know, when you think about what it is that we have to go through in our life and the tough decisions we have to make, that's what I was going back to. 
is being in that motel, you know, the toughest decision I had to make was after that gun was put to my head, what are you going to do, Chris? What's next? You're 17 years old. You've been, you work in these jobs. You know, I've, I've been in car accidents. I've been, I was almost carjacked this one time. Uh, this guy tried to get in my car and I had to drive away and he fell out of the car. It was crazy trying to carjack me. Um, was deciding that, okay, either I'm going to get out of the situation in a pine box because I was doing bad things with bad people, doing drugs, alcohol. I was like crazy drinking and driving all sorts of stuff before the age of 18, by the way. Um, my second opportunity was that I was going to get out of that place in uh, the back of a cop car because again, I was doing bad things with bad people. Um, and I really didn't want to live. I really didn't care. And I saw the cycle of insanity that a lot of people in the motel were doing. They would, they would get out of, they would get out of jail. They would do some stuff. Then they'd go back in jail and then they'd come out and they'd do some stuff and they'd go back in jail and just kind of be, it came this thing. They would go back into jail sometimes just to relax for not having to work. It was crazy. Um, so that was one of the toughest decisions, decisions I ever had to make. Another tough decision here, actually, um, this is cool. This is a picture since we're talking about Siesta seven, nobody's ever seen this picture besides my friends. So you guys are getting an extra special sneak peek. I'm not sure exactly what's going to be in the book, but here is another picture. So in the background right here, this is this, this is the motel Siesta seven. And there I am. I've, I've asked people, guess how old I am. That's the car. Actually, that's, that's my car right behind it. It was a 66 Dodge Coronet. Um, but guess how old I am in that picture? I've had people think that I was 25. I've had people think that I was 30. Guess how old I was in that picture? Guess, put it in the comments. I want to see. Guess how old I'm in this picture? Look at that picture. Put it in the comments before I tell you. Before I put it in the comments. 19, that's one guess. Okay, uh, Patty says here, Chris, you were sharing how you saw yourself in the future and then went back to the motel story. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so it was about making that tough decision. So we got uh, 19 in the house. We got 17 in the house. Um, the true, let's see, we've got 15 in the house and Jacqueline wins that picture. I think I was about 16. So I started growing facial hair when I was 13. That's an interesting story. You want an interesting story. So I didn't have a biological father. I had a step loosely termed stepdad. My, my mom remarried this guy, but I would not even call him my stepdad or anything else. And, uh, he wound up leaving. They wound up having a horrible, um, divorce. Actually, that's one of the stories I just got through proofreading was the time my mom called the cops on my, my, uh, on her husband, let's call him that. My mom called the cops on her husband quite a few times and the cops would show up and they would talk and then everything would be fine. But this one time I just talked about this. Um, my mom was screaming. My bedroom was right along the front wall of the house. So the kitchen and the dining room area was right on the other side of my, my bedroom wall. So I could hear everything. And this one time I could hear him yelling. And most of the time things weren't breaking, but this time I heard things breaking, dishes breaking. And then I heard my mom scream in a guttural scream, Jim, you're hurting me. Jim, you're choking me. Jim, I can't breathe. And then she screams at the top of her lungs, Chris, call the police. Chris, call the police. Chris, call the police. And because in school they taught us about, you know, I think this was even before 911, but on the telephone, we actually had a phone you had to pick up and press buttons i think it or dial actually and no i'm not 100 years old but i'm older um so she told me to go into her study and call the police the anaheim police department was written on the front of the phone and so in pure darkness i go inside the 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 her study and i call the police department and i'm trying to tell them like hey you know i think this this my my, my mom's husband's trying to kill uh, my mom and you guys need a key here it's 1345 ferndale and the the lady on the dispatch is like does he have a gun i'm like he owns a gun but i don't think there's any bullets in it i'm like freaking seven eight years old you know thinking about this and thinking about the the, the trauma and the tragedy that i went through and i experienced um ultimately when i became 13 years old 
Um, it was pretty crazy because I didn't understand what puberty was. I didn't understand the changes in my body that were happening. So this, so this facial hair here started happening when I was 14, 14. And so here I am at 15 years old. I was driving a car. I did not have a license. I did not have registration. I did not have insurance. Um, so that is me at 15 years old at the Siesta seven motel, um, going through these experiences. And I think it was probably about a year after this, um, that I first tried to kill myself. I got uh, supremely drunk and got really high and my mom wasn't paying any attention to me and nobody cared about me. And so I decided the best thing for me to do would be to get in her 69 country square station wagon and go crash it into any building, any brick wall that I possibly could and go up in a blaze of glory. And so the cops and the police would have to call my mom, who my mom, by the way, was acting as a double agent. This is crazy. This is true. My mom was an informant for the Anaheim Police Department while simultaneously working for a drug dealer in this motel, cleaning his car and running errands for him. So she was literally working for this fucking drug dealer and giving information to this guy, Officer Schmitty from, uh, I'll never forget his name, Officer Schmidt. She used to go, oh, Schmitty's so cute. Um, and she would literally be doing this shit. And that while I was working two jobs to pay the rent for this place, so she would clean the grounds of this place. Oh, it's interesting. I just realized, I just noticed this, this car in the background right here. Oops. Um, yeah, you guys are gonna, oops. You guys are probably going to see this, but I just realized this is, this is something because I don't have many pictures from this time. This is back before cell phones, obviously. Um, so this car right here, this was another car I would have. This is a car that I talk about in the book. I don't know if the story is going to make it in the book. This is the car that I was driving back here. It was a 1973 Chevy Capri station wagon, shit brown, interior, exterior, everything else. Um, wound up driving the car with somebody in the car who was drinking, got pulled over, had to give the cop a completely fake name and all this other stuff. So that was crazy. I just noticed that that was the, uh, the car. I never noticed that in the background before. So, um, so yeah, crazy, crazy stuff. I uh, appreciate you guys all being here. Um, uh, was Robert saying I had to wait until 42 before a beard would grow in. <laughs> um, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Thanks guys for being here. And you guys could ask me any questions that you want. You know, this is just something that's just loose and, uh, fun. Um, so after that, so I made those decisions. Oh, here's another, here's another picture. So while I was, um, there's another picture of Siesta seven. Nobody's ever seen this picture really, except for my friends also. So, uh, I'm kind of giving you guys the backstage look. I don't know if these pictures will make it in the, in the, in the, um, in the book because that'll take up space and there's a lot of words in this book. So here I am at also, uh, so the, actually the other picture was probably about 15, 16, probably 16. This picture was 14, 15. Um, so you can see my little peach fuzz starting to happen there. I think I shaved. I have horrible acne in this, this picture. You can't really tell because it's really grainy, but my, I have zits everywhere. Um, look at it in the background. This is the inside of this motel room. This is Siesta seven. Look at that nasty air conditioner. You probably can't, you probably can see it kind of, but the, the room is so that's not, that's not dimly lit. That's, that's the, the color of the paint. It was nasty. People had smoked in there. The, 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 um, the drapes smelled like shit. We wound up putting, uh, 16 of the cats inside of this room. It was a 10 by 10 room. Um, and so this is me getting ready to go to work at Carl's jr. I lied and told, yeah, I was 14. Um, because I lied and I told him that I was 16 years old because you needed a work permit to go to work at that point. I don't know what it is now. And so I lied and said I was 16 years old. I became a lead within three months of working there. So I had no experience working in a regular job. I went in there wearing a suit. I have a picture of it actually. Um, and I get hired on the spot and, uh, I worked at Carl's jr for two years while simultaneously working at a telemarketing job at the same time. And I share this picture with you because look at my eyes. Do I, I'm not stone drunk or anything else, but do I look like a happy person? That is so crazy. I was so miserable. 
But this is the point in my life where I started finally making friends. I didn't have any friends from the time I was 13 until about 14, 15, when I started getting this job at Carl's Jr. I didn't hang out with anybody. I was all by myself during those first couple of years of being homeless. And so this point, I'm starting to start meet people and uh, the depression of this face starts to change and starts to become the face of an alcoholic and a, and a drug addict and all that good stuff. How long have we been going for? Um, so yeah, you know, it's pretty crazy, a pretty crazy life. Um, one of the other pictures I want to show you, this is, this is kind of cool. So here is, here I am right before I became homeless. So let's share this one out here. So I made it as far as the seventh grade. Um, this is me in uh, 1981, 1982, something like that. I went to school, uh, Brookhurst junior high. I've talked about it a few times. And so there I am smiling, got my little Scott Bayo haircut going on feathered. Um, yeah, you know, this was, this was probably, well, yeah, it's probably about four to six months before we became homeless because I had to drop out halfway through the second grade. Um, essentially, um, if you guys don't know the story, uh, my mom has a very favorite cat. Let me see. Actually, I can show you that picture too. Wow. This is all live on the spot, ladies and gentlemen. So right there, let's get this picture off here for a second. So right here is a kitty cat. You can see the kitty cat, right? This cat is bunny rabbit. Bunny rabbit was my mom's favorite cat. Bunny rabbit was a cat that I was super jealous of because this cat was treated like royalty. This cat, when my mom would get home, Oh, bunny rabbit, come here, bunny rabbit. I love you. You're so sweet. You're so loving. And I was jealous of the fucking cat because the cat got more attention than I ever did, got more love, you know, and then she'd be like, Oh, yeah, what? you know, if I didn't take care of the cat, I get my ass handed to me. So this particular cat, bunny rabbit, sadly, um, got really, really sick. And my mom spent the last bit of our money to save the cat. And this was right after approximately that her husband left us. And before that, my sister left us and my mother did not have a job and she was on unemployment and she ran out of unemployment. And that's what caused this kid that was going to, uh, that was going to the seventh grade. That's what caused this kid to wind up having to drop out. Now here's a story you may not know. This kid was bullied, was beaten, was ridiculed, was embarrassed, was all sorts of things in grade school and my young childhood. Um, here I'm laughing, I'm having a good time. But when I got into the seventh grade, something started to change. I started growing. Obviously, I told you guys I went through puberty. Um, so I started getting bigger. So when I went to the seventh grade, <clears throat> everybody warned me about the eighth graders, you know, hazing the seventh graders and putting you in a trash can and all this other shit. <clears throat> so quickly enough, when I returned back to school, I was bigger. And what I started doing because I had so much anger and I didn't know how to deal with the testosterone going in my, in my blood and everything, I started fighting back instead of running and getting my ass kicked. I just started standing there and fighting and fighting back and getting good at it and taking all that aggression that I had in my life, the anger towards my mother and the resentment towards my sister and my mom's husband and my biological father and all the beatings and everything else that I had from the kids at school and the kids on my street and my mother inside my house, I started bullying people and I started, you know, beating people up and I started feeling really fucking good. Right. I was getting back questions out and I was doing all these things. And so then I started skipping uh, PEs. PE for me was seventh period. And so I would start skipping PE. That's my actually my PE equipment right there. I'd start skipping PE and I would go to the park that was behind our school with a bunch of the guys and I'd start smoking pot. And so then I, I was fighting and smoking pot, uh, being disrespectful. And right before we became homeless, I got expelled out of class. 
I got expelled out of school for fighting. I actually beat the shit out of this guy because he was mad at me. I went and date his sister. It was so fucking stupid. Um, so I beat the shit out of this guy. I get expelled from school. And my mom didn't even know about it. But when I went home, my mom kept me out of school because that's when she found out we were going to be evicted from our house. And so it's just crazy stuff, you know, and, and everything in this book is all true. It's all about, you know, taking guys on the hero's journey to letting you know that, you know, you're going to make it through. You're going to make it through. Um, for those of you who've never seen this, this kind of this, this look on me, here's a, here's another one. I hope you guys are digging this. Let me know. Um, just something I'm having fun with. So this is me a little bit later in life. Uh, yeah, look at that rock star. Ooh, I had hair for days. I had so much hair. I had to have it thinned out, but this is, uh, this is me about how old was I right there? Uh, let me think, let me think, let me think, think, think this was while I was married or right after I was divorced the first time, my first wife, who I'm still really good friends with Tammy. Um, this is right about that time. And, uh, I was doing a lot of, wasn't doing a lot of drugs at this point, but I was drinking a lot and, uh, it was just some craziness in my life. I was a very, very big dude. I used to work out really. I was a pretty stout dude right there. I'm probably about two, Right about 230, 240, feeling pretty good about myself. Um, people used to call me Jesus. I actually this one, this is a funny story. I'll tell you this story. And feel free, I think there's a question, uh, and I'll answer that in a second, Patty. Um, so this one story, well, I've had this happen a few times, but this one was crazy. We were my friend, um Jesus just blanked on her her name. Um oh my god, I'm gonna I'm, her name's gonna come back to me. Um Jesus, not Patty. Um, well, it doesn't matter. So one of my friends, that's crazy. I always remember her name. So one of my friends got di uh, diagnosed and had leukemia when she was like in her early twenties. I think she was 22. She was, I think she was a little bit older than I was and she got leukemia, got cancer, obviously, um, started doing treatment, lost all of her hair. And she had, we used to all go to heavy metal bars and go see heavy metal bands play and do all that kind of stuff. And she hadn't been out with us in a long time since she got diagnosed with cancer. And we kept telling her, God, I can't remember her name. I kept calling, telling her, um, Kathy, that's what it was, Kathy. Cause I could hear my friend saying it. So Kathy, we told Kathy, like, come out with us, you know, come out with us. You know, you're, you're, you're fine. You can come out. She's like, I don't want people staring at my bald head and all this other stuff. And I said, we got you, we got you. And so we go to this place called Goat Hill Tavern here in Southern California, Newport beach. If you've ever been to Southern California, you might've heard about it. It's, it's notorious. It's a great place. And so we go there, we're having drinks, having a good time and everything. And I look across the bar and there's this dude staring over at Kathy and I'm like, had a couple of drinks. And again, I was not afraid to approach anybody back in these days. And so I'm sitting there looking over and I see this guy I keep looking over and I'm like, I'm gonna go fucking over there. Tell I got to shut up, you know, stop looking. Everybody's like, Chris, calm down, Chris, calm down. I'm like, no, we ain't playing this. Nobody's going to fucking mock my friend while she's out, you know, dealing with cancer and everything else. And so this went on for about an hour. Right. And I'm probably about four or five good beers in. And when I kept looking over, I'm like, all right, I've had it. I'm fucking going and talking to this guy. So everybody's like, no, Chris, don't do it. Don't do it. I walk over and I go, dude, what's your fucking problem, man? What is, why do you keep fucking staring at us? You want to go outside? What's going on, man? My fucking friend has cancer. What the fuck's problem with you? And this is when you learn to think about what it is that you say before you say it. And so I'm going off in this guy and I'm like, you want to fucking step outside, dude? Da, 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 da. And he goes, swear to God, he goes, do you want to know why I was looking at your friend? I said, fuck, why do you think I'm over here? You dumbass. And he goes, she reminds him, I get, I fucking feel so bad for this. I swear to God, I feel so bad for this. He goes, it reminds me of my sister who just died of cancer. Yeah, I fucking felt like such an asshole. That was probably one of the last times I really ever prejudged or thought something bad about somebody before knowing it was actually true. 
And so I gave the guy a hug and I'm like, dude, come on over. Let me introduce you. Let me buy you a beer. I said, I'm so sorry. He goes, no, dude. He goes, I get you. He goes, I did the same thing for my sister. He goes, I totally get what you're coming from. I appreciate it. I respect that. And so the guy came over, I bought him a beer. We had a good time, introduced him to Kathy. And, uh, but yeah, so in that same bar, that same night. So this is a, that's the cool story. Here's the other funny story. So the same bar, same night, we're all having a good time. It's probably after midnight at least. And this, this jarhead comes walking up to me, this military dude. And that's what we used to call him. So no offense to my military friends out there. And I, I know I got to be careful what I say. So, um, my jarhead for this jarhead comes walking up to me and he's all, I mean, I'm pretty fucked up, but he's really drunk. And he walks up and he goes, you're Jesus Christ. You're Jesus. And my beard was actually a lot thicker than it is in there. So that's, it was, it was like, think Jim Morrison. So it was really thick. And he goes, you're Jesus Christ. He's I got to kiss the feet of Jesus Christ. And I swear to God, he gets down and he kisses the top of my Doc Martens. I was wearing Doc Martin boots at the time. And, uh, and the only thing I could think of now, and I'm like, no, dude, I'm not, I'm not. And, you know, kind of like, Hey brother, you know, take it easy. All my friends were laughing. And I thought about it afterwards. I'm like, man, I should have had him buy Jesus a beer but I didn't. Uh, so, pa, 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 pa. so, uh, let's go back. I know Patricia said here, when did you start playing guitar? Well, Patty, that is a great question. And actually outside this room, truth be told, I have the first guitar that I ever bought with my own money. Um, truth be told, I bought this guitar. It's a classical guitar. I used to watch this guy named Frederick node. I'll never forget the name Frederick node. It was on Saturday mornings on PBS. I would watch it because I loved guitar. I loved rock bands. I was into Kiss, ACDC, obviously Van Halen, ladies and gentlemen. By the way, apologize. I'm going sleeveless today because this is an informal show. Normally I wear a shirt with sleeves, but I thought we're just you and me. We're just kicking back. I'm just telling stories, right? You know, it's a campfire kind of thing. Here, cheers, because I'm only drinking water. Um, so yeah, uh, and I loved it. And so during the time, you think we were homeless? Yeah, yeah. I think we we're homeless. And one of the things, cause I worked swap meet jobs. I washed people's cars. I, I cleaned houses. I did whatever I had to do to help my mom make money so that we could survive so we could eat every single day. And so we went to this pawn shop one time that we used to go to, cause sometimes she would pawn her rings or pawn something and then we'd get money and then she'd go buy it back out. That was the kind of the way we survived a little bit. And so we go there and I see this classical guitar up on the, on the, on the, on the, the wall. And I noticed that it's got scratches and stuff like that. So I asked the guy, I said, Hey, how much for the guitar? And he says, $25. And this was back like in 1982, 1983, something like that. I can't remember what it was. And so my mom let me buy it. So uh, not right then. So what I did was we were staying in this motel. I can't remember what happened. I think I got money for my birthday or something like that from my grandfather. But my mom told me I could go back and buy the guitar. So I had to get on the bus. I took the bus. I was, fuck, 13, 14. Um, uh, probably about, yeah, yeah, probably about 13, 14 day, years, years are bad for me. Um, so anyways, I take the bus up to there. It was the Fullerton pawn shop in Fullerton, California. And I went in there and I got the guitar for $15. I, I talked him down. It was one of my first negotiation things that I ever did. And so it had, it still has the same strings. It's, uh, it's got four strings on it. It's a six string guitar. It's a classical, they're nylon strings. So they're not steel strings. Like these are, that's a steel string. Well, that's a steel string. Um, and I just started playing. Well, here's another story for you guys. So part of the guitar playing story is this is, I mean, my hands, right? So left hand, you play, you play your, your chords and you strum. Well, this hand, ladies and gentlemen, this is actually a story in the book. These bones right here, these bones right here are called metacarpals, metacarpal bones. So they're attached to your fingers, right? They all they make your fingers move. Guess what happens to these bones when you make this fist and you punch something that is extremely more dense 
tougher, harder than your fists. Guess what happens to those bones right there when you punch something that doesn't move? Bam. Those, my friends, break. Those, my friends, get pushed back into your wrist. So to be able to do that, I mean, this one's funky. Like this one, you could tell that one totally. This one, not so much because the bones in here got broken when my dumbass punched a brick wall. I was probably about, I was thinking about 12. Actually, I could probably show you the picture. Uh, where is that picture at? Um, do, 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 please hold. Um, where is that? Where is that? Where is that picture at? Uh, oh, there we go. So, pardon me for a moment. Where is that? Here it is. So here's what happens. Oh, dude, I look fuckered up in this picture. Why do I look stoned in every picture? Um, actually, at this point, this is true. This is true. I was smoking pot. I might be high. I actually might be high. I am 12 years old. That is my 12th birthday. I believe you can count 12 candles on there. And this right here is a beautiful cast that I got put on my hand after I punched said brick wall. I came home, told my mom. I said, I think I broke my hand. It hurts real bad. My mom, for all intents and purposes, you'll find out in the book, my mom considered herself to be a doctor and not a doctor in the, oh, I'm a doctor. My mom actually studied Grey's Anatomy book, not Grey's Anatomy, the show, she studied the book, the doctor book. She studied the PDR, which is the F physician desk reference book. She studied all these books and learned about medicine and everything else. So went home and talked to Dr. Mom. I'm like, mom, I think I broke my hand. It hurts really bad. I can't move my fingers. She starts moving my fingers. She goes, no, it's not broken. Just take it easy, right? She didn't want to have anything to deal with me. And so a couple of days later, I'm at a buddy's house and I'm playing basketball, I'm playing hoops, right? I'm playing in his front driveway. Well, you know, when you play basketball, you do this, right? You're like ready for the ball, ready for the ball, ready for the ball. Guess what happens after you've punched a brick wall and you fuck these things up and you catch a basketball on your fingers. You don't catch it in between your hands. It jams your fingers. Guess how fun that feels. That feels fucking excruciating. So then I came back to my mom again and said, I think I broke them. And at that point she knew I broke them because I was screaming and I was crying and everything else. So I got to go to the, uh, let's see, Anaheim Memorial hospital and, uh, it was pretty funny going there and I'm pretty sure it was broken. I know it was broken and they take x-rays and said, yeah, they showed me the fractured metacarpals and whatnot. But the good doctor says, okay, I have to reset your fingers right now. And me being a kid and I never, I've only been in the hospital one time at that point, I went in for my uh, tonsils and I had tubes in my ears because I have a hearing deficiency. So I had actually tubes put in my ears to drain the, the wax out. And I think I might have to go do that again. That's another story. Um, so he says, I got to reset your fingers. And I'm like, okay, do whatever you got to do. And I'm holding my hand out. Right. And so he's like kind of playing with them. And all of a sudden he pulls on two of them. Holy shit. Holy shit. And then they proceed to ramp my hand in a cast. So I'm thinking, right, you're going to school, right? So you, I'm left-handed. So I'm not going to be able to write. I'm not going to be able to do any schoolwork for like six weeks, right? I go to school. My teacher's a bitch. She's like, Chris, guess what? You're going to, you're going to do your homework with your right hand. So not only did I have to do my homework, but I had to do it with my right hand. And I said, well, good, because you're going to have a hard time seeing what it is. But now, truth to this day, I'm glad that she made me do that because as a curiosity kind of thing, I started writing more with my right hand. And later on in life, I found out, okay, if you write with your left hand, it's right brain dominant. You write with your right hand, left brain dominant. So I started reading some psychological psychology books. And I found out if you start doing things with your non-dominant hand, it triggers things in your brain. So you activate more sectors of the brain. So I wound up doing that. So actually God's honest truth. I cut with my right hand. I open the door. I do most things with my right hand, but I write with my left hand. So I catch with my right hand. I, I throw with my left hand. 
Um, but anyways, so yeah, that's when I, when I broke it, but and anyways, so back to your story about playing guitar. So when I really started taking seriously to play guitar, I can play like about six chords, no problem. But anytime that it involves these two last fingers, anything more than maybe a C chord, they don't move. So I have a hard time placing them. I have a hard time controlling them. So you can actually see they, when I try to move them, they, they twitch because of these bones in here. So generally what happens, and I've had guitars ever since I was probably 14 or 15, what happens is I play and I get really good at those six chords. And then I try playing an F chord or an F sharp or a B, which takes all of your fingers. Like you've seen people like they're, they're trying to play these chords and my hat, my hands are kind of chubby. My hands are big. You might not be able to tell from the, uh, from the camera, but they're big. So trying to do that. So I would get frustrated and I would stop playing guitar and I would stop playing guitar for a couple of years. Well now guess what? So now I have a son. And what do we tell our kids? We tell our kids, Hey, you got to practice. You got to keep with it. You know, you're not going to be good overnight. You have to, you know, progressively get better. All those things that parents, we have to tell our kids, right? Um, so yeah. So what I'm doing now is I am now playing guitar again. So I actually have been playing guitar again for nearly probably the longest that I ever play when I start giving up because I'm getting to the point now where I got to start playing new chords, but now this time I'm not going to give up. Because now I'm going to sit there and go the extra distance for this to, um, to make sure that, uh, I set the example for my son. So no excuses, Christopher Roush, no excuses. I could play other chords. Um, so yes, thank you for that, for that, uh, question, Pat, Patricia, uh, Patty, as we call her, um, Patricia says here, life lessons are vital. We learn them the hard way, but thanks. Good, thank goodness. Uh, we grow and people are our teachers. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We've got Catherine Townsend in the house. What's up, Catherine? It's been a minute to see you. She says, watching you on LinkedIn and so good to see you. It's been a while. Yes, it has. We have to definitely catch up. It's good to see you. Appreciate you being here. Um, Robert says here, um, yeah, you look a bit high, just a bit. So let me tell you another story since we're on this one. So I'm 12 years old all of my life up until this point and, and past this point, quite honestly, all I ever wanted was a family. Uh, I, again, I grew up not knowing my biological father. Uh, the story behind that was my biological father was married with a family of his own. And my mom, truth be told, was supposed to place me for adoption. But I think she decided to keep me as a tool to potentially leverage her getting with this guy, uh, my biological father. And unfortunately that didn't work. And the reason why the book is called it's you and me kid is because when my mom delivered me, this was back in 1969. I'm not, I know things have changed a little bit, but I guess you weren't supposed, it was starting to the point where they didn't show the baby to the mom, but I guess before that they kind of did, even if they were going to be placed for adoption. And so the nurse said, do you want to see your baby? And my mom initially thought, no, you know, just as long as I don't see him, as long as you just carry him out of the room, then I don't have to deal with it. And I can go back because my mom was already at a, a seven-year-old daughter, my sister, a half sister. And so uh, she decides at the last second, she goes, ah, what the heck, let me see him. And so when she saw me, she said she was looking at me and I was cooing and I looked all cute and everything. And she said, wow, it's just going to be you and me, kid. Because my sister was living with her biological father for the most part, because my mom was 26 at the time when she had me, she was 19 when she had my sister and she was on welfare and food stamps. And that's pretty much how we survived for a good number of years, uh, up until my mom started getting jobs again and started being a productive member of society. So yeah, pretty crazy stuff, right? How long have we been going for? Holy shit. We're going 50 minutes. Um, so I want to show you this picture. This is, um, let's see if we can get this. So this is my mother. This is one of the, um, the more beautiful pictures of her. She was a, she was a very beautiful person. Um, back in the day, she would say, people would say she was a cross between Mary Tyler Moore, the actress and Barbara Streisand. So my mom used to have her hair, um, perfectly, um, 
styled all the time. It's pretty crazy. My mom would always brush her hair and have her hair perfectly styled and, and pay for it to be um, uh, cut and all that other stuff. But there, her, there's my mom with her, her cat, Bunny Rabbit. And so I love this picture because this is where she was. You can't see it because it's so blurry, but she's wearing a nice business suit and she looked really, really good. When we were homeless, that changed a lot. Um, and I can show you pictures later on. You can have to get the book for that. But uh, um, so, yeah, that was pretty crazy. Let's see what else we got here. Um, oh, yeah. Um, so when I tell you about the car, when I tell you about the car that we lived in, um, this isn't the car because I don't have a full shot of the car. But this is the car that we actually lived in. This is nearly identical. Um, so that's a 69 Ford Country Squire station wagon. Um, and so that behemoth, this is this is what we lived in. This is the first car I drove. I actually drove this car. Uh, this is another true story. My mom was drunk and passed out, and we used to have all the cats in the car. And what we did is I put um, black hefty trash bags in all these back windows. So basically, I taped it from the inside. It kind of, I mean, I would love to know what it looked like really, but in my eyes, it was the perfect tent job to have all the cats and the animals in the back part. Cause we had all of them back here. And then, uh, she and I rode up here or sometimes I rode in the back. Um, so people have asked me like, what, what did the station wagon look like? This is literally it. It had different hubcaps on it, but that is a 1969 Ford country squire station wagon that I lived in. And I drove one time because my mom was drunk. So here's a story. And taking care of the animals in the car was was hard to do. And we we did it very strategically in order not to get caught. I mean, it's very challenging to have that many animals in a car and not get caught. I'm surprised and still shocked to this day, even when I was writing the book, that we never got caught. There was a few times where people said they were going to call animal control on us. But fortunately, we got out of the situation. My mom was pretty amazing at that. Um, but uh but so one time she was she was drunk. She hadn't been drunk in a while, and the car was parked across the street underneath this uh beautiful shade tree. And it was the summertime, so we'd keep the windows cracked. It was in the summer. They had water. We did the best we could. But then it was time to bring the car back over to the side of the motel and take care of them. And so my mom was too hammered to go do it, and we had to get the car out of the parking lot before it was too late because we knew the cops would start patrolling the parking lot. And so my young ass, I think I was 14, had to walk across the street, and I had to drive this thing back across major intersection near Disneyland all by myself with 18 cats screaming. And I think at that point, we might have only had two dogs because we wound up uh, getting rid of some of the dogs along the way because that was one of the bigger problems is having four dogs in a car. Um, full-size dogs, by the way. Um, so yeah, craziness, craziness, craziness. So reason why I'm all sharing this, let me just see if there's any questions, uh, anything on here. So, uh, yeah, Teresa says, yay, are you smiling? Um, definitely, definitely. Um, so let me see if there's any other pictures that I want to show you. I really don't have any pictures of me as a kid. I don't, this is a sad thing. I don't have any pictures of me as a baby. Um, I, I, I'll admit this. I was so embarrassed of that, that my mom never had any pictures of me of his baby that I would use her baby picture as my baby picture. When people ask me if I had a baby picture. So this, I believe is the first picture, at least the first picture I can find out of everything. The first real picture of me. And the only reason why I believe that my mother took a picture of me here, I'm probably about, I don't know, three or four, maybe the only reason, cause I'm fucking holding a cat. That's why she took the picture. I believe this is the first picture ever that I have of myself. I don't have any baby pictures. She said, yeah, we didn't have any money for, we didn't have a camera. We didn't have any money for film. So, you know, your sister got baby pictures. I have baby pictures, but you, my friend don't have any baby pictures. So it kind of sucks, but I think that's the, this is the youngest picture I could find of myself in my photo album. And so, um, it's been a pretty amazing journey. And actually since, um, 
since uh, Eric wanted to see it, let me go back because there's another part of my life that, that I thought would be kind of funny to share with you guys. Um, where is it? Oh, so uh, some of you guys have not seen this picture. I find it pretty surprising, but uh, allow me to share this. So before I was the beautiful man you see before you today, I spent my life being somebody who I wasn't. So when you talk about the suit and tie, when I talk about my suit and tie days, there I am, ladies and gentlemen. That's my official headshot of me as a suit and tie speaker. Uh, was very successful at it. Um, my little martini right there. Um, so yeah, there I am as a suit and tie speaker. Here is another picture of me in a suit and tie. This is me right after I performed for, uh, performed, fuck. Uh, I competed in a Toastmasters speaking competition. So that's me um, when I went there back when I had my little short cropped hair. Um, yeah, here's another picture. Oh yeah. That big boy. Look at that. Oh, fucking A. Doesn't, doesn't, didn't, didn't stay up there. I thought these were staying up there. So there's a, there's a picture of me. What's funny is look at that, that picture, that crow picture that I'm standing in front of. This is me years and years ago. This is like 2004, 2005, uh, way back in the day. But it's funny is that picture right there is that picture right there. <laughs> just realized that, uh, some crazy stuff. Want to see one of my most prouder moments? This is pretty crazy. So any of you know who Les Brown is Les Brown. So if you think about the major players in the motivation market, Tony Robbins, Les Brown, Zig Ziglar, all the different greats. Well, Les, Les Brown was one of the people that I was fortunate to have cassette tapes by when somebody was kind enough to give me some cassette tapes and tell me about this thing called personal growth, personal development. It was this really nice guy that was living at the motel. He wasn't a drug addict. He wasn't an alcoholic. He had a job. He was just down on his luck, went through a divorce and didn't have any place to stay. So he was staying at this cheap motel and he was a really kind guy. He helped me and my mom out quite a bit. And so he gave me these cassette tapes and I said, what band is this? And he said, it's Tony Robbins. They're personal growth tapes. I think you can use them. Uh, again, being a fucked up teenager, you know, doing all sorts of crazy things. And so um, I got hooked on those tapes and then I started going to the library and checking out tapes and Zig Ziglar again. Um, uh, w Clement stone was another one, all the, all the old greats. And then I found this guy named Les Brown and I put the cassette tape in and man, this guy was just crazy. Hey, this is Les Brown. This is Mamie Brown's baby boy, blah, blah, blah. And he talks like a DJ and he talks all amped up and he's just the real deal. And so I grew up listening to Les Brown and I have his books and his, I bought his cassette tapes. And so I, one day I'm in Los Angeles and actually Patty knows this. Uh, we were there at, at uh, this event in Los Angeles and there's, Les Brown and he's speaking from stage and he's like, I got a deal for you guys. I got a deal. You guys can come work with me as a professional speaker and I'm going to coach you and train you and da, 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 da. And I'm thinking, oh my God, this is going to probably be like $10,000. This is going to be super, super expensive. I won't be able to afford it. Fuck this sucks, man. I'm in the same room as Les Brown and I can't even, ah, oh. and I get the sheet. They pass out the sheet. Much to my surprise, it was 997, 997 for three days training with that, with Les Brown, the picture I'm going to show you three days training with Les Brown. Oh my God, $997. I can't afford it. I got to do this. I got to do this. And this is where I started working on my scarcity mindset. And this is where things really started changing for me, guys. You think about being homeless and all that other stuff, getting my master's degree. Great. So after I get my master's degree, I've got a house and I'm doing great, but I'm hiding all of my feelings and all the trauma that I have not dealt with from my past through alcohol, through working out, through working out or for being a workaholic. You know, I was just constantly distracting myself, constantly driven to make sure that I never wound up being homeless again. So that scarcity, that mindset started being prolific, prolific, prolific. I can't say that word today either. Uh, I couldn't say another word earlier today. I don't know what it is. Um, prolific. Um, and so I decided, you know what? 
fuck it. I'm going to do it. So I pull out my credit card. I pay the 997 and I get to spend time with Les Brown. This is when I stopped being uh, a suit and tie guy. I was like, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to do that. It's not my bag. And to be able to stand here with this guy, Les Brown. So on the third day, um, actually on the first day, let me tell you that real quick. On the first day, he gives us 20 minutes, each one of us 20 minutes on stage to kind of give them like a, 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 our best speech or whatever, just to kind of see where we need tweaks and what kind of speakers each one of us are. So all the other people went in front of me and they all got 20 minutes and less was great. Da, 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 you do this, do this. You guys can record it, whatever. And so I get up there and I'm, I'm, I'm dressed like this, right? So I'm a little bit different now. I mean, I wear my hat on backwards, but that back then I wore the bandana like that and I wore kind of professional, you know, it's kind of like rocker business kind of thing. My own little style, my own little swagger. And so, uh, I start speaking and Les is like, he keeps stopping me. He's like, so you dress like this in front of the kids and, and, and you say kick ass all the time. And he goes, do you use profanity when you talk to the kids? I'm like, yeah, you know, I said, if I'm mentoring kids one-on-one and they're at risk kids, they're on the streets, I'm going to talk to them like they talk. And I'm going to talk like the way I talk. Cause I'm not going to try to pretend to be anybody that I'm not, I'm not going to not use swear words thinking, oh my God, if I don't use the word fuck, they, they might respect me and they might use friggin' too. You know, it's just ridiculous. Nobody's going to change the way they talk just because you use clean words. They're going to connect with you when you just are automatically yourself. And so we're going through this less spends 45 minutes talking to me. Right. And he's not picking me apart. He's just asking these, these, these probing questions. Like, so what made you do this? Why aren't you a suit and tie speaker anymore? And da, da, da. 45 minutes. I have it on audio. I've recorded it. So on the third day, like during this time, people are like, you know, Chris, why don't you put the suit and tie back? You know, Les is giving you this great advice and da, 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 da. And we're at, to di- we're out dinner uh, one night at the Sheridan Gateway Hotel. I'm two spaces away from Les, who's sitting at the head of the table. And my friend, Martin, Patty, you might remember Martin, Martin Presse. He's like, dude, just put on the suit and tie. You know, you could be successful. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, hey, Martin, who's everybody talking about right now? And he's like, you. I'm like, and he goes, you're fucking brilliant. I'm like, yeah. All these people are going to go home and go, there was a suit. There was a guy that was wearing a bandana and swears and is a motivational speaker and all this other shit. And I was just being me. I was just being me. And that connected with Les. Everybody else was kissing Les's ass and like, oh, Les, da, 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 you know, hey, Les, Mr. Brown, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what's up, Les? How you doing? You know, and I've met a lot of famous people. And so the last day I walk in the training room and part of the deal of working with Les is that he's going to interview you in his suite. And so you get this, this taped interview and I have these videos on my uh, YouTube page. I should probably use them more because people are blown away by them, but I'm just not that kind of guy. So Les walks into the speaker room that day and he goes, he goes, Hey, Mr. Kickass. He goes, you got one of those kerchiefs for me? And I'm like, sure, Les. And I always carry bandanas in my back pocket, you know, so I can like christen people like you're kickass unstoppable right now. And I put a bandana on them and boom, you're, you're unstoppable. It's kind of a thing. It's fun. And so I go to hand. So I pull them out of my back pocket and I said, yeah, I've got a brown, I've got a black one, a blue one and a red one. Which one do you want? He goes, give me the blue one. Give me the blue one. And so I go to hand it to him. Meanwhile, it is pitch quiet in the speaker room. There's 20 something other speakers in this room, small room, and everybody gets pitch quiet. They're watching what's going on right here. And all of a sudden I caught on. I'm like, Oh, everybody's watching us. And so he goes, no, no, no. And it goes, go put it on me, put it on me. So literally not, I don't, I may have shared this picture before, but literally where is it? Um, Oh, here. Oh, actually you can see this. Let's see. Um, Nope. It's crazy. Let me show you this. So this is actually me in Les's um, suite where he's interviewing me. So there is Les Brown. I'm in his suite. He's interviewing me. There's the there's the picture and everything else. But um, where is it? Do I not have it here? That's crazy. So I actually have a picture somewhere. I thought I had it here. 
of me actually putting the bandana on less and everybody in the place is like quiet. So Les pulls me out into the lobby of the Sheraton Gateway Hotel. And he says, he goes, he goes, Mr. Kickass, he goes, I could put you on stage. He goes, you're an incredible speaker. You're an amazing dude. You got, your story is awesome. He goes, but I can't do this. And he's looking me up and down, you know, just the way I was dressed in that picture. He goes, but I can't do this. He goes, just put the suit and tie back on. I could put you on stages. Think about that, guys. Everything that I've shared with you tonight, and this is just a super encapsulated version of what you're going to get when you buy this book. So again, ladies and gentlemen, make sure you go to www.itsjustyouandmekid.com. Actually, let me just put this right in here for you guys. It's just you and me kid.com. So go there right now. Go there right now. Uh, la, 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 la. Oh, you got some more comments. Thank you. So go there right now. It's just you and me kid.com. Get on the priority presale list for this because there's so many other stories in this book. There's so many, so many other stories in this book. So for me to be standing there in the Sheridan Gateway Hotel talking to Les Brown, I mean, seriously, goosebumps. Like I have fucking cassette tapes of this guy. And he's telling me, Chris, you can, you could be so great. And this is back when I wanted nothing more than to speak on stages. I love speaking on stage. I love coaching. I love doing this and, and broadcasting. I've been broadcasting now for 10 years, but being on stages and saying things and seeing people live physically go, oh my God, I get it. Oh, and, or, or afterwards, you're like, oh my God, Chris, when you said that, or you shared that, that made me think about this. And now I know that if you can do it, I can do it. It's one of the greatest things, but I'm having Les Brown tell me this. And in my mind, I'm going, Chris, you fought so hard. You fought so hard to be where you're at today. You fought so hard. And now you're actually embracing who you are in your core. You're not worrying about being a people pleaser to everybody else because that's how I was successful, guys. I learned the fact that if I knew what you liked and I knew what you wanted for me, and if I could cater to you, then I would cater to you. If you didn't like swearing, oh, hey, blah, 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 blah. And if you like talking about paintings, I would talk about paintings. I would go, I would go search stuff. I would try to be the best person to be successful. And at this point, I've finally decided like, I'm not going to be a suit and tie speaker. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this thing called the kick-ass guide to life. I created this, right? Uh, I created the blue collar guide to life. There's, there's uh, that's when I changed. So that's me. Um, it says right there, never before has there ever been an inspirational, motivational, and educational book written, especially for the blue collar people. And it's about fucking time. Um, I turned and looked at Les and I said, you know what, bye. Uh, you know what, that oh boy, you know what, my friend, I said, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I told him the encapsulated version of my story a little bit. And I said, but Les, I gotta be me. I gotta be me. I got to be me. And he goes, well, Chris, I don't wear a suit and tie. You know, I wear pajamas or not pajamas. I wear sweats all the time. And this is, this is back before he said it publicly because I've seen him say it on video now. So I can say this. He goes, I color my hair with mascara because I'm black and I can't, and the, and the, 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 colors, the dyes actually affect my skin. So he goes, I use mascara to, to color in my hair. He goes, we all have to do things and put things on, but I can make you successful. I'm like, Les, I love you and appreciate you, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to change. I'm not going to change. Um, so yeah, it was a pretty incredible story. I've had people that know less and they have, um, they have talked to him. They said, do you know, you did? I said, tell him Mr. Kickass says hi, because that's what he referred to me as. And, uh, so periodically I get messages back saying, yeah, Les remembers you. Um, so it was really cool. And so to have that moment, to think about everything that I've been through in my life, all the ups and downs and everything else, to be standing in front of the guy that I thought was one of the most inspirational, amazing person, people in the world to tell me that they could put me on their stage. But for me to stay where I was at and to, and to own who I am, that's what I want for you guys, right? I have lots of amazing things. I have lots of beautiful possessions. I have two houses. I have all this different stuff, but you know what I love and enjoy and appreciate the most is you guys.
is my family is the fact that I don't have to pretend to be anybody that I'm not. I don't have to lie. I don't have to cheat. I don't have to steal. I don't have to do anything illegal, immoral, unethical. I can just come here and be me. I could tell you guys that I deal with depression sometimes. I could tell you guys I deal with anxiety. I could tell you guys that I have problems with sleep. I could tell you guys anything because I'm just being me. And that's all I want for you guys. I want you guys to be yourselves and just imagine, just imagine how different this world could and will be if all the people out there stopped being who they aren't and instead just braced exactly who they are. I have another, I have another little thing to show you guys. Since we're just doing off the cuff and fly by the seat of our kind of shit. This book, The Five Regrets of the Dying, I've, met, I've, I've mentioned this so many times on this on this on this um, this broadcast on well, actually on my show, The Five Regrets of the Dying. The number one regret of the dying is that people lived the life they thought they were supposed to live and didn't live the life they wanted to live. Can you imagine getting to the end of your journey and realizing that yeah, you were successful on paper, but you were never really truly successful in your heart? Can you imagine having to think about all the different opportunities and the things that you could have experienced wholeheartedly and for your own genuine good and and fun and appreciation? You know, that's what I want for you guys. That's what I want for everybody because, you know, if we start releasing the animosity and the anger and the resentment that we have towards people in our past who have wronged us, if we can let go of that stuff and we can start having love and empathy and forgiveness for ourselves and for the things that we fucked up and all the different things in our life. And if we start to realize that everything that has happened in our past and everything that's happening right now is preparing us for what's next. That's an amazing feeling. It's not millions of dollars. It's not thousands and millions of likes. I'm not standing on front of stages in front of 30 million people yet, but I can tell you what, every single day when I wake up, I set the intention to use my words and my actions to make this world a better place. I use my experiences and my honesty and my transparency, my vulnerability every single day to help men open up and help men uh, change the direction of their lives because they see me and they're like, Chris, you're masculine and you're macho and everything, but you're so vulnerable and you're so just being you. I want to be you. I want to be just me. And so I help a lot of people out and God's honest truth. Men are not my target market. Most of my clients, like 98% of my clients are women. But, you know, I feel like there's this, this opportunity for me to help everybody sit there and get out of their own way and just appreciate the true value of life because guys, it goes by fast. It goes by fast. Let me just, whoops. I don't know if I can do this now. Uh, I just lost it. Um, let me see if I can find this. So when you think about everything, when you think about your life and um, everything, let's go back to, um, where did it go? So when you go back and you think about your life and you think about everything that you have been through in your life, you know, what, what do you want to be remembered most for? What do you want to be remembered most for? What, what experiences do you want to be able to talk about when you're on your deathbed, when you're looking back on your life? Do you want to be able to sit there and say, wow, I went for those things and I changed because guys, again, I'm that kid. And I went through all those experiences. I'm here today to tell you that tough times suck. Yes, they do. Wherever you're at in your life, you have to consider that it took you this long to get where you're at. And it's going to take you a little bit of time to get out of those things. I usually tell people plan for about three years. Oh my God, Chris, three years. Like you're going through a divorce, you're going through a career change, you're going through whatever three years to go through it. And it's going to suck. It's going to be hard. But on the other side, it's going to be worth it. When I look at this picture now, I am so, so proud of that little boy because here I am today. And it wasn't easy. And I just kept putting one foot in front of the other. I kept pushing myself still as I'm doing today. I'm on 75 hard. Today is day 51, 75 hard. I've gone 51 days without drinking, 51 days without having sugar, 51 days with two workouts a day for 45 minutes each. Plus I just got done doing a five day juice class in the juice cleanse, not a juice class. 
a five-day juice cleanse in the middle of it. So constantly pushing myself because when it's uncomfortable, that's where the growth goes. And just remember, just remember, you know, when I think about all those things, this tattoo right here, ladies and gentlemen, what doesn't kill me only makes me stronger. What doesn't kill me only makes me stronger. That's true for you too. So everything that's happened and happening for you right now is preparing you for what's next. That's what I'm trying to say. Everything is going to be for what's next. So when you have the perspective of being a victor instead of being a victim, it's pretty incredible what it is that you can achieve. And this book, again, go to it's just my just do me kid.com. I had the little thingy up here a second ago. Just go there. Um, where did it go? Is that it? There you go. Go to that because this book is full of all these stories. It is a roller coaster of events. It's not all bad, um, but ultimately you get to experience my life, the process of going through this little, these little, these little kid moments to graduate my master's degree to buying my first house, to my mom getting out and buying her house after being homeless, to being successful, to having to go through all the experiences over again, and then ultimately spend the uh, the remaining parts of my life with my mom, um, which is pretty incredible. So I encourage you, go over, it's just you and me, kid.com, sign up. There's a bunch of extras there. You get, um, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do something like this for everybody who reads the book, maybe like I'll give everybody like a month or two months to read the book. And then afterwards, I'm going to schedule a zoom call where you guys can get, we can jump on here together, a zoom call where we can all see each other. And you guys can say, you know, so tell me about that story. You know, whatever happened to this person or whatever happened to that situation, or what made you think that, or what do you think would have happened with that? I know for me, when I read autobiographies, I would love nothing more. When I read this about Dave Grohl, I had a fucking ton of questions for Dave, but where's Dave? You know, normally I don't get to talk to the author. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to auction off five, uh, coaching sessions with me. So put your name in a, in a bucket and I'll pull your name out and you can get a free coaching session with me, whole bunch of stuff. You're going to get access to pictures and stories that aren't in the book, everything. And as much as I could throw at it for you guys, helping me make, uh, it a number one bestseller, I will do that. And this has been an absolute blessing, uh, for me to be able to share this time with you, share parts of my life with you, uh, share some vulnerabilities and some transparencies with you because together we're all in this we're humanity black white straight gay transgender whatever label republican democrat trump no trump biden whatever whatever it is we're all humanity we all bleed we all have interchangeable parts and organs and so it's our responsibility to be living our best life it's our responsibility to be around the people that are going to move us in that direction i would probably not be standing here today or sitting here today if it wasn't for a guy named bill white who took a chance on that long-haired rocker guy dating his daughter and said christopher have you ever thought about going back to school I'm like, who does this fucking guy think I am? I'm gonna go back to high school. Are you kidding me, dude? Man, I smoke cigarettes. I drink. I live in an apartment with five guys. I eat ketchup sandwiches. You want me to go to college? Are you fucking crazy? What? And so because I took his belief and I put one foot in front of the other every single day, I'm here today and I've had the opportunity to affect millions of lives. And uh, I'm still doing these shows and I'm still rocking out. I still got my amazing family. Um, I love my family, my son, Jackson, my wife, Barbara, and of course me. So there you have it. Um, let's take a look at these. Um, Teresa says here, can we get those? I'm not sure what you're talking about, but uh, she says, I've, I've been there about 20 times, LOL. I'm sorry, I missed that part. Um, and Top Cat, Tom Tom and Cat Lion uh, say, oh, this is, I think this is, uh, yeah. Uh, says, oh my God, he was just judging you by the way you look. So sad, but it's all good. It's all good. Um, da, 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 da. Let's see. Um, 
She says, I'll market your book for free. It's what I do as a literary marketing business. Let me know. Email me. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Catherine. I appreciate you. Um, and I appreciate you, Patty, my dear friend, Patricia. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, for pushing me to write this book. Thank you for being an inspirational soul in my, in my corner. Thank you for writing um, the forward to the book, which you're going to be responsible for. I've got you writing the forward and I've got my other amazing partner in life. Uh, my coach, Sally Anderson is going to be writing the introduction. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for pushing me. Thank you for believing. Thank you for believing ladies and gentlemen. I'm wearing this bracelet. I have actually the original bracelet, but I'm wearing this believe bracelet because of Patty. When we were at one of the events, I brought my cat who was dying of uh, oral squamous cell carcinoma from his mouth. Um, he was dying and I didn't want him to be alone and his long story, but all my friends wound up helping me take care of my cat. I smuggled him into the Sheridan Gateway Hotel um, and took care of him for three days while I was at this event. My wife was traveling. It's a whole long story. Um, and she brought down this bracelet and it said, believe on it. And I wore that bracelet continuously until it finally broke about a year ago. And that was for about 10 years. I only took it off for surgery. And I think one other thing, um, but then ultimately it broke. And so I decided to have them remade. So you guys can always get these. You guys hear me talking about them. So it says, believe on one side, it says no excuses on the other side. And then we got this other one here. It says unstoppable and no excuses. So you guys know where to get those. You can go to my website and get those. So I'm not sure what you were talking about. Darlene's here. Replay. Love you, Darlene. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I appreciate you. Uh, Patty says profound. Hey, we got Lynn Serrano in the house. I had a great conversation with my sister from another mister. She goes, hello, little brother. Love you. Excited for your book. Thank you, my dear. Um, the other book. Oh, the other book. Sorry. And then she says, I love you. I have those bracelets. Yes, you do. I want take a picture of them. I want to see them. I want to see them. Um, and Patty says, I am humbled and privileged to share this joy with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I am beyond, um, appreciative. And Lynn also has the bracelets as well. So thank you. Thank you, Lynn. So from this conversation, here's what I want you to do. So there's always a call to action from the show. Number one, think about your legacy. Why are you here? What verbs, what adjectives do you want to describe you when you're gone and go write your eulogy, have a vision statement of what it is that you want to be remembered for and start living that every single day. And then the next thing I want you to do is when you wake up tomorrow, set the intentions for who you are going to be, how you are going to show up and what is most important for you to make sure that you're getting done in your daily life. Focus on the priorities, focus on the needle movers. So number one, you got your legacy. So this is who I'm going to be. This is who I'm going to be remembered for. This is, who I'm, this is how I'm going to show up in the world. Second thing, I'm going to set the intention to be that person throughout the day. And then during the day, if you catch yourself not being that person, stop what it is that you're doing. Reset for a moment. Did I set the intention today to be miserable? Did I set the intention to be an asshole? Did I set the intention to be negative? Or did I set the intention today to use my words and my actions to make the world a better place? The next thing I want you to do is take a take out a piece of paper and I want you to write the five people you're around the most and they're right next to their name, positive or negative. However you want to do it, positive, negative, negative, destructive, whatever it might be. The five people you're around the most, you want to make sure those people are the people that are empowering you, that are holding you accountable, that are mentoring you. It's I often talk about it as being a team. Somebody you, somebody you trust, somebody who empowers you, somebody who holds you accountable and somebody who is your mentor. And they can't be the same person. So when you have five people like Les Brown's in your life, like Patty's in your life, like Sally's in your life, like Lee's in your life, like Jock's in your life, all the amazing fucking people that I have in my life, those people lift me up. Those people push me. Those people listen to me. Those people hear all different things that I have going on in my life. And they love me enough to tell me the honest truth about how I can continue to grow. So you have your vision, you have your intentions, you have the people in your life. Um, next thing you want to do, is write down all the things you're tolerating. 
I'm tolerating this from myself. I'm tolerating this from other people. I'm tolerating this from inanimate objects and make a full list on the things you're tolerating and then decide what of those things you're going to stop tolerating and start picking them off one by one and start growing your confidence and growing your assertiveness and growing your resourcefulness to figure out what the problems, what the solutions to the problems are. And then when you're not tolerating a third of that stuff that you're not tolerating anymore, you have the right people in your life. You're setting the intention. You have a clear vision of who it is that you want to be. Go live your life every day. Go be in the moments. One of the greatest gifts that I have learned from being a dad is to be in the moment. Because as you can see from my entire life, I have been very prescriptive and very intentional and very dedicated to be successful. I've been very intentional to make sure that I have lots of money, all these different things. That's not important. That's not what I'm going to take with me. It's about the moments. It's about right now. And I'm not making this anything, but what it is, this connection with you right now. There's a reason why we are talking. There's a reason why we're connected right now. And that, my friends, is what I want for you. So when you take all these things and you put them into a package, you have an amazing life. It's not easy. It's not certain. But every single day when you wake up, like I'm going to enjoy these moments. Like just after I end this show, I'm going to actually do a couple of things to get it into the audio podcast form. And then I'm going to go down, I'm going to be a dad. And I'm going to talk to my son and I'm going to give him a bath and I'm going to read him stories and I'm going to tuck him in. And I'm going to give him kisses and tell him how much I love and appreciate him, how much I love being his dad. Because I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. The world's crazy. You know, we don't live forever. You get one day at a time, one day at a time. And many, many, many people are out there playing the someday game. And I hear it every day. Oh, Chris, someday I'm going to do this. And someday this is going to happen. And when this happens, then I'm going to do this. And I'm like, show me someday on a calendar. Show me someday on a calendar. When have you been saying this? Well, I've been saying this for the last 10 years. I'm like, what's going to change in order for it to become, become a reality? Well, I guess I got to start, you know, with my excuses and, Ladies and gentlemen, again, the regrets. Don't regret your life. Okay. That's why I'm doing this. That's why I've done this entire show is I want to inspire you that no matter where you've been or what you've done, no matter what hardships or mistakes or failures or, or things that people have done to you, you're still here. You have survived hundred percent of the shit in your life. hundred percent of all the different things that happen in your life. So why would you not survive all the things that will happen? So instead of worrying about what might happen, think about this. I know whatever's going to happen. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to overcome it. I've overcome hundred percent of the other things in my life. No matter what it is, I'm going to, I'm going to overcome it. So I'm not going to worry about it anymore because when you think about it, today is the tomorrow you worried about yesterday. Today is the tomorrow you worried about yesterday. Was it worth it? Was it worth it? Yesterday you worried about today. You were, Oh, what's going to happen? Was it worth it? No, no, it's not. So when you start living your moments, all those little moments get stitched together. And that's what makes an amazing life. Not all the big things, not, I mean, I went to Italy last year. That was amazing, but no, the little moments in my life, all the different little stories I could tell you about people I meet in everyday life that I don't even know who their name is, but I know I made an impact in their life. You stitch those moments together. You get around the right people who love and appreciate you and respect you and want you to be successful. You start going out there and once a week, once out of every seven days, you get out of your comfort zone, do something that pushes you. That is 52 weeks a year, 52 experiences that if you got out of your comfort zone, do you think you would be more comfortable getting uncomfortable after 52 experiences? Yes, you would. That's why I'm doing 75 hard. After 75 days of doing something, you definitely become um, ingrained in it. And that's what you can do. So no matter where you've been or what you've been up against, you can do it. I know you can. All right. So I love you guys. Teresa says, love you, kick-ass rock star. Uh, Patty says, love you so much, my friend. I love you guys too. Uh, Patricia says here, AI, AI cannot replace you. Thank goodness. 
Oh, don't even get me started on that. That's that's some pretty freaky shit. Robert, brother, I love you. I'm going to go back and read your, your posts. Uh, I know some of them don't necessarily apply exactly what I'm saying, but here it says, it isn't, it ain't the most comfortable place to be, but the best place to live within the moment, within each moment. Yes, Robert, brother, I appreciate you. Yes, yes, yes. So again, go to itsjustyouandmekid.com. Itsjustyouandmekid.com. Um, go there, get on the priority sale list and support me. I love you guys. We're going to be back here next week. And next week, who do we have for you? Who do we have for you? Who do we have for them next week? What am I doing? Where's my head? Where's my head? I just got done doing a five-day juice cleanse. I can't really think very well. <laughs> uh, it's pretty crazy. Um, next week. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Next week, we have Amy Scruggs. Wow, that went by quick. Uh, Amy's cool. I just recently met her. Uh, she wanted to be on the show. That was crazy. That was like in February. I met her and now it's already her time to come up here. So we got Amy Scruggs, that Amy Scruggs next week. Um, after that, the next week we got Clint Arthur. If you know who Clint Arthur is, he's a game player in the personal development space. He actually reached out to me and asked me to be on my show, which is kind of interesting. Um, then in the week after that, we have a guy named Sid McNary. I've just recently become introduced to Sid McNary and apparently Mr. McNary could potentially be running for the president of the United States in 2028. So I will have Sid McNary on my show in a couple of weeks. And we're going to be talking about the state of what's going on in our beautiful world today and what potentially he might be bringing to the equation to make things a little bit different. So if you guys have an idea for a guest or a topic on the show, you want me to go solo on the show, send me some information, send me a, 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 a smoke signal, whatever it is, Christopher at ChristopherRoush.com, info at noexcusescoach.com, however you want to get to me, let me know. Um, right now, God's honest truth, we are booked, check this out, we are booked solid through the end of September. And we are now booking in some, some people have booked into October and November, and then I'm keeping December for Patty so we can have some more people here. So I love you guys go back out there. If you ever want to see the old shows, um, go subscribe to the podcast. You can go to rawandscripted.com. It's got the place where you can go there and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify and iTunes. Please go out there and support everything that I'm doing. I appreciate you guys. I love you with the bottom of my heart. And together, we're going to continue to make this world a better place. Continue no matter what the fucking news and everybody else says. I love you guys. Black, white, straight, gay, tall, short, Democrat, Republican. Go out there, be beautiful. And uh, I will see you here next time on the Raw and Scripted Show. I love you guys. Peace. <laughs>